Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to HC Conversations, hey. the podcast where we sit down and just talk about stuff every mm-hmm. Monday. That's right. So it's good to have you with us today, whether you're joining us on YouTube or, you know, you're listening on a device podcast, you know, Apple and Spotify and well, that's one of those. It's one of those three. You're either yeah. watching on YouTube or you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. No matter how you're here with us, we're, we're grateful. We we're are. grateful. Speaking of being grateful, hmm. look at that segue. It was Thanksgiving right. this past week. And we have just a very Thanksgiving-y aura behind us. We do. Orange room. Orange, flannel, sweatshirts. So, yeah. And gratefulness for you. We are. We're grateful that people listen, that how people is, watch. How was your Thanksgiving, Paul? Um, it was good, different, because it was much smaller this year, yeah. um, as I think a lot of people's were and should be, <laughs> should have been. Um, no comment. Yeah. So just immediate siblings that we have been around for a while. No extended family, no aunts, uncles, grandparents, any of that. Yeah. Um, but it was nice. It wasn't like we had multiples try to get two in one day. So spaced out, get yeah, two. Like it kind of stinks not being able to see everyone and stuff. But the more relaxed, I mean, at least for me, like the the slower pace of it was just nice. Because usually, mm-hmm. in the written house household, holidays are like I kind of dread them because we've got like a ton of places to go and there's a million people at each place and it's just <laughs> there's nothing like <laughs> relaxing about it. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, but so so that I mean it was it was sad not being able to have your normal traditions and stuff. But at the same time, like you, we, we did, um, we did one Thanksgiving with my in-laws. And so it was just just like my wife's siblings and parents and stuff. And then we went and that later that day then had my Thanksgiving or on my side with my parents and brother. That was it. That's rough. Yeah. That's a lot to eat. I know. I, I, uh, I paced myself on the first one. You gotta be selective. It's like, okay, I know what I want. At, the, at, the, at, at like my in-laws, I'm like, I know I'll what, what things I'm get a little bit of pretty much everything, but right. there's a few things that are getting bigger. Portions what are those of. things that you go back for? So the big thing at that, that I pile up at uh, my mother-in-law's house is the stuffing. Mm. She makes really good stuffing and technically it's dressing cause it's made in the casserole dish. Right. Um, and then it was less this year cause not as many people, but usually there'll be like, I'm not joking, like 15 different kinds of pies. So I have several pieces of pies. So that, those are usually like my two go-tos right. <laughs> at the in-laws. And then um, with my side, I always want my mom's noodles or whoever is making, it's either my mom or my grandma. It was great back in the day when grandma made homemade like egg noodles. Oh, um, but you know, mom, mom buys the, the reams frozen egg noodles are big and thick and she cooks them in like gravy. They're wonderful. So noodles from my mom and mom's sweet potato souffle. Those are like the two things. And then usually turkey because I usually make the turkey and I want to eat my own turkey. Because you got to brine it. If you're not brining your turkey, you're you're not eating turkey right. Right. And you you got to inject it with butter. When everyone's (laughs) like, turkey's so dry, it's because you've never brined it. I did a two-day brine and then I smoked it and it was good. So, Hmm. yeah. Depends on what what place I'm at is what, what I'm loading up on is what I'm saying. And this year, I made a pumpkin roll. My first time. Good for you. Let me see that pumpkin Congratulations. roll. Congratulations. Yeah. It was so good. Oh, I can make pumpkin roll. Nothing quite like cream cheese and pumpkin. Mm. Oh. It's a magical combination. It is. But yeah, it was good. It was good. 
Good. Yeah. Hopefully, all of you had a a nice Thanksgiving. Ate too much food. Right. That's part of Thanksgiving. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of kind of sick and messed up, really. Like we're gonna be gluttons. Yeah. <laughs> more so for a day. We're so gr- American Thanksgiving. We're so grateful for what we have. So you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna overindulge and stuff our faces to show how grateful we are. And then usually the next day, run each other over with shopping carts. <laughs> Not this year. <laughs> Not this year. Okay. But yeah. So. All right. Are we ready to jump into... I think we are. ...the content that the people pay for? <laughs> yeah. What, what you're really here for. You so know, we, nobody's paying for this. <laughs> we got a, a message from a listener. Yeah. And uh, we want to just take some time to, to respond because it's a lot easier to do so this way than typing out a response. Um, and so it was a, a really long message, and so it's going to take us some time to get through this. Uh, probably a couple podcast episodes. Yeah, so we're um, probably so, kind of set, set a timer, right? Right. We're going to try to keep the podcast about a half an hour, and mm-hmm. wherever we end up, we end up, and we'll pick back up. Right. Next, next week. week. So we are diving right into this message, mm-hmm. um, and the message is this: When Einstein gave lectures at U.S. universities, the question students asked him most was, "Do you believe in God?" And he always answered, I believe in the God of Spinoza. So this is like one of those message messages or posts that kind of circulate around. So this was like a copy and paste deal. And like, that's just like a really weird place to start. <laughs> Something like, hey, here's what Einstein thought about God. And I'm, I'm kind of like, why do I care? <laughs> Not why do I care from like the person that sent the message, but right. like just in general, like the things we find share worthy right. on Facebook. Um, yeah. Do you believe in God? And he answered, I believe in the God of Spinoza. Of Spinoza. So sounds like a pirate. We have to <laughs> kind of does sound like a pirate. So we have to understand who Spinoza was. Um, so the next part of the, the message goes on and says Baruch de Spinoza was a Dutch philosopher considered one of the greatest rationalists of the 17th century along with Descartes. So <laughs> I've heard of the name Descartes. But I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen it, you know, spelled out. And I'm like, looking at that, I'm like, that says Descartes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I am uncultured swine. <laughs> have, you, have you heard of Carl Hume? Yeah. But it's J-U-N-G. Seriously? Yeah. I thought it was like H-U-M-E. <laughs> nope. There's a, there's a different philosopher Hume, but the psychologist Hume oh. is J-U-N-G. Okay. All right. So anyway, Baruch. Baruch de Spinoza. So it says that you know, right? Einstein would answer, "I believe in the God of Spinoza," which, upon research, that's he, actually true. He would say that along with other things. You know, this was part of a longer answer that he would give. And what you kind of discovered with a quick Google search, yeah, was, and reading um, yeah. multiple sources. That, multiple sources. That, there was know, not just Wikipedia, right? He, you know, Einstein was a deist. Um, I wouldn't say theist. He was a deist. He believed in a God. Right. Um, There's a God out there somewhere. Right. That, you know, all the stuff that he's discovered through uh, mathematics that it didn't just happen by chance that there is some force or something behind all that we experience and all that we see. And so that's the view that he took and he kind of aligned himself with other philosophical traditions. Um, So Einstein did believe in God. He, uh, grew up in a secular Jewish home, which is just kind of interesting to say, but his parents were Jewish by nationality, um, but didn't 
really practice a religion. He also went to Catholic school um, and then kind of transitioned out of those things later in life. Right. And so when he says, I believe in the God of Spinoza, there's some similarities there then too, in, in terms of the kind of God that Spinoza believed in, um, which was very much uh, that, you know, deist, theist, some, something, there's a God out there somewhere, um, but not necessarily any particular God of the prominent world religions. Right. Now, where this message gets interesting then is as you go on to read it, this does not reflect what would have been something from Spinoza at all. Um, there may be some ideas underlying it, but the overarching message is, it makes you scratch your head. Um, right. One, so just kind of big picture of where, where this thing is going. It's, it's written with a very, like just linguistically, it doesn't sound like something from a 17th century <laughs> philosopher. Um, it just like the, the, the sentence structure. So I was like, no, this is a lot more recent, but more than that, the ideas that are communicated in it, um, the, it, it has very much a kind of a new age humanism, um, postmodern kind of thinking, you mm -hmm. know, what's truth really? Everyone's got their own truth, go out and find it. And, uh, with Spinoza being a, 17th century philosopher, like we're talking about the enlightenment and, and rationalist kind of thinking, which was the opposite of that. You know, the enlightenment was very much based in, no, there is such a thing as truth. Um, and we can, we can, we can experiment and we can test things and we can see things. Um, and there is like tangible, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like hard truth. There is objective. That's the word I'm looking for. Like, so as, you, as we kind of read down through this message, it's like, wait, that doesn't quite seem like something that, again, an enlightenment philosopher would say. Right. <laughs> and that's because there's no evidence that he ever actually said this. As right. with most quotes on the internet, so, it's like attributed to a historical figure. <laughs> right, because most people don't fact check it. Yeah, um, you see like a picture and it's like, you know, you see those memes, it's like, it's a picture of Abraham Lincoln with a, some ridiculous quote. People are like, oh, I didn't know Abe Lincoln right. said that. Because he didn't. So just a quick copy paste uh, a couple lines of this into Google and uh, <laughs> found it not attributed to Spinoza, but actually traced back to a Facebook page called the High Existence, all one word, High Existence, High existence. Facebook page. Um, checked out their website and one of the first links is to psychedelics and plant medicines. <laughs> So if that tells you anything, but the about section on their Facebook says, high existence is a global community of free thinkers exploring all aspects of the human experience. We turn ancient wisdom and esoteric teaching into practical systematic guides to help you wake up from the matrix, reconnect with the sacred, find meaning in hardship and transcend ordinary life. Follow your bliss. Be excellent to each other. Walk in the path of perpetual evolution and enlightenment. Excellent. So. Just be, be enlightened. Yeah. So, I mean, you just even reading that description, you're hearing them pull a lot of different parts and pieces from different worldviews and philosophies and things. Um, and it's very, again, it's new age. It's kind of humanist. It's postmodern, which is very much reflected in what we're going to read. Right. So even though this probably is not a quote from Spinoza, or maybe there, it's one of those things where there's like bits and pieces of him mixed in there, we're going to work section by section um, through this and respond to it from a, a Christ, Christian perspective um, in terms of, hey, does this 
does this jive with Christianity or following right. Jesus? Where, where where do they line up? And we say, yeah, we can we can take that. And where are parts that say, yeah, nobody's got to reject that entirely? Um, so that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. All right. So diving right in says, according to Spinoza, God would say, stop praying. I want you to go out into the world and enjoy your life. I want you to sing and have fun and enjoy everything that I've made for you. It seems pretty straightforward. God says, stop praying. Just do it. Just do it. Okay. I have so many issues with this, and we're only like two sentences in. And we were talking about this before, that we're going to see this over and over through here, that whoever has written this sets up these false dichotomies, where they're they're painting a picture that two things can't be true at the same time, even though you don't need to have that dividing line. So like in this section, the first, the picture that's painted is, okay, God would say, stop praying. I want you to go out and enjoy your life and to do all these other things. And and so the kind of thing being communicated is you can't do both. (laughs) You either choose, am I going to be a person that prays? And by praying, it's also, I feel like inferring other, um, religious or faith practices. So maybe you're talking about fasting, you're talking about meditation and uh, reading scripture and, you know, that kind of devotional kind of inner life. Mm -hmm. And, so you either choose, are you going to do that stuff, or are you going to enjoy your life? You can't right. do both. You can't do both. <laughs> and that's just not the case. That's, that's not, not true. Case. We do that so often in life, though. Like, we set up these false dichotomies and say it's either this or this. And it's like, well, no, no, no. It can be both. It right. can be bits and pieces of both. It can be... So that's the first problem that I would have with it. Right. And so for Spinoza to say, God would say, um, he was a rationalist, um, enlightenment thinker. They didn't believe in God. Um, not usually like in a personal sense where God would say something to you. Although, uh, Spinoza believed, uh, all of his philosophy and moral codes came out of, uh, actually a metaphysical framework that he created, um, combined different religious systems, a lot of Eastern religions. Um, so he, he didn't believe in a God per se, but rather that there was a creating life energy somewhere in the world. It's the force, Paul. It's the force. It kind of is the, the force. The force is strong <laughs> in you. The force. That's where, that's where George Lucas got his inspiration for the force. Maybe. Maybe. Um, so it's prob- problematic for him to say what God would say, because that implies a personal God. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting, too, coming out of the Enlightenment, If this, and again, this is where it kind of makes you question, is this really Spinoza or not? He said, God would say, okay, well, where's the evidence? Like, where's the rational, you, you can make that claim, but everything out of kind of enlightenment philosophy was we can test and we can experiment and we can determine things that are true. Right. Um, you know, we, we talked beforehand too about, you know, like America and our democracy and our founding documents, they're very much shaped by the enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And like, you just listen to some of the words and we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? Like this is, this is what we observe in the world. Um, so yeah, it's like, well, God would say, okay, prove it, prove it, prove it, Baruch. <laughs> oh, which interesting side note, Baruch, actually, that's a Jewish name. Yeah. Um, so Spinoza is not without religious background. He grew up in a Jewish community, um, that he was excommunicated from for some of his ideas, but, uh, yeah. yeah. So what we'll kind of find throughout this as, as well is he, he pulls pieces from the Jewish scripture or like ideas. It's like, yeah, that that's from the Bible, but then mixes it with some other mm-hmm. stuff. So 
we have a problem with them saying God would say, mm-hmm. stop praying. Right. We have a problem with there being this false dichotomy false that dichotomy. there's no enjoyment in prayer and spiritual things, um, but rather just go out, live your life. And, and that's where it comes in, though. Like you can, you can tell that he has been influenced by the Hebrew scriptures mm-hmm. because that idea of I want you to go into the world and enjoy your life. I want you to sing and to have fun and enjoy everything I've made for you. Yeah. It's sad that within, uh, you know, like a lot of uh, of Christian theology, we've we've lost some of that. Where mm-hmm. it's like, no, it's not. You're not allowed to have fun. Um, but that is is deeply ingrained in Scripture. Of I've made all this to you. Go enjoy it. Right. Opening chapter of the book of the Bible. Yeah, it's good. Know, God it's good. creates a temple, and everything in it <clears throat> is good. It's beautiful, and mm-hmm. humanity is designed to to live and to delight in those things that god has made um so yeah we would agree with that statement yeah, enjoy we, everything that i've made for you we see songs of just celebration and stuff in the psalms we, we see things like song of solomon that's just like this big celebration of like human intimacy and sex and it's like yeah god said go go enjoy the things that i've made um even um taste and see the lord is good i mean song I guess, of song of solomon yeah did you yeah. say that Oh, I know you did. I did. What am I saying? I don't oh, know. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Kohala, the teacher, more, yeah. um, more ancient wisdom. You know, he goes and searching for life and says, enjoy everything, yeah, enjoy everything, everything under the sun. But at the end of the day, know that this is wisdom to, to fear the Lord um, That's follow yeah. him. That's where the, the teacher ends yeah. at. He's like, okay, yeah, enjoy life. But again, it's not the either or. You know, dedicate your life to God. Be a person of faith and enjoy your life the two are not at odds um yeah so again a little little piece of wisdom we could take there of if if you're like a christian i maybe something we do need to work on is enjoying life more um and and enjoying what god has blessed us with and you know (laughs) joy is a good thing Mm -hmm. like joy is a a gift of the spirit that's right we kind of ignore that one Tell your face. Yeah. <laughs> I have the joy of Jesus in my heart. Well, someone needs to tell your face. <laughs> so, All right. So something move- we can take away, but yeah, a lot of half truth in there. Right. All right. So moving on to the next statement. Stop going into those dark, cold temples that you built yourself and saying, they are my house. My house is in the mountains, in the woods, the rivers, lakes, and beaches. That's where I live and where I express my love for you. Okay. Same, same thing. Same thing. Same pattern of don't go to, you know, those cold, you know, cold temples of don't go to church buildings and temples and synagogues, synagogues, holy places. places. Um, Instead, go out into nature. That's where you'll find me. The picture that's painted is okay. It's either one or the other. Right. You go to church and find God or you go to nature, but you can't go to both places. You can't find them both places. Um, and that's simply not true because not. Uh, in Christian theology, there's two different streams of revelation. You have um, just general revelation, those mm-hmm. things that are evident in creation of God um, that everybody can just go out and see. Then there's special revelation, which was, which would be the scriptures, the Bible. Um, so, yeah, to say that you can't find them in either place or that is just wrong. Yes. As, uh, yeah, so you, you can find God both places. But then also, it makes a false assumption that 
that God just kind of, okay, so this is, how do you say this? God is omnipresent, Paul. Like God is everywhere. But the idea of, of a temple, the place that he dwells, the picture we're given is, well, God, in this little thing that we just read, right, is either God dwells in a temple or God dwells in nature. But both of those are kind of wrong. <laughs> just read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, so, so this, and this goes back to this, it's getting into creation and stuff, but God created the, the world to be the whole, the whole existence, to be his temple where he lived and dwelt with humanity. Right, where God's space and human space overlapped. Overlapped. Um, but sin came, messed all that up. Now God's space what we would call heaven and human space, earth, are, are separated, but sometimes they still overlap. And in the Old Testament, we see that space. I mean, sometimes it's actually on a mountaintop or you know other places, but often it's, it's the temple. That's where God's space and human space overlaps. Well, we step into the New Testament then. Wait, before you move into the New Testament. But I'm a Christian, that's what we do. We before, skipped the Old Testament. We I, know, <laughs> I know, but before you move on, there's something so important about the temple that we have that we can't brush past. So the point of the temple wasn't to just have a temple, but that you could go to the temple and what was inside the temple would come out in the rest of creation. Yes. So by you, you know, making a sacrifice at the temple, your sins were being uh, cleansed and forgiven, and a little piece of that God space went with you then wherever you went mm -hmm. and carry that out into the rest of creation. Um, and sadly we've forgotten that and it was just about the temple and the not temple. taking what was happening inside the temple and letting it go out beyond the walls. Yes. Okay. So new Testament. So now we move on to the new Testament and Jesus and Jesus, you know, he, he, he comes, he lives, he does all this teaching. He, he introduces the kingdom of heaven. Um, and he says that like when he's leaving that he's going to send the Holy spirit to come and to live, to dwell with within his people. And so now the people of God are now the temple of God. Right. Uh, and, you know, the apostle Paul fleshes this out in his writings that he says, you know, that God's spirit coming to, to live within you, that you are, don't you know that your body is a temple? Um, that, that the presence, the power of God in his spirit is living within his followers. And so, no, the temple's not a building. Um, did he actually even say uh, something about stop saying that they're my house? That is a pet peeve of mine, actually. Like when churches or pastors will say, isn't it so good to be in the house of the Lord today? And I'm like, this isn't the house of the Lord. It's just a building. Right. I mean, it's great. And I'm not saying that's not important, but like, we are like the people. We are the temple. Um, that You know, I, I think it's in... Um, do, 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 Ephesians, I believe, where Paul says that, the, that Jesus is the cornerstone and then the foundation is the prophets and the apostles, and we're all being built up collectively to be the temple of God. Right. So yeah, there doesn't need to be the false dichotomy of can you find God in church? Can you find him in nature? The answer is yes, you can find him in both places. Right. But to think that that's ultimately where he dwells and to have an, an encounter with God. I have to go to one of those places. It's wrong on both sides. Mm -hmm. um, again, the promise of God is his presence dwelling within you. And even that isn't like, yes, he dwells within us as individuals, but we're way too individualistic in our culture and society. Right. Most of the time when you see that word you in like the new Testament letters where Paul's fleshing this out, it's plural, right? That the spirit of God dwells within y'all collective collective. Collectively. Yeah. So, so there is something about that then, what, what 
what uh, is being attributed to our buddy Baruch here that's just wrong. Because there's this kind of idea that you can go out into nature by yourself mm-hmm. and you can experience, you know, God and like his presence. Or you can go and sit in church by yourself. It's like, well, actually, there's a communal aspect that God dwells in his people collectively. collectively. Yep. Um, that if you ever try to do any of this on your own, just go, I'm going to go connect with God in nature, you miss out on all of that. Mm-hmm. So. And then, uh, Baruch says, that's where I live and express my love for you. Talking about the rivers, lakes, the beaches. Um, and so this kind of ties back in Pocahontas right now. Sh- you know the movie? Yeah, just around the river bend. Just around the river Paint bend. with all the colors Paint of the wind. colors of the wind. <laughs> Grandmother Willow. Yes. Um, I mean, isn't that kind of what this is like? Yeah, yeah I mean, it kind of is. So this gets back to a little bit what we said about the first section that yes, God's creation is good and we can delight in it and we can experience God through his general revelation in his creation. But the fact that that's where he expresses his love for us, uh, that's counter to the Christian doctrine that says um, the, the greatest picture of God and God's love is found in the person of Jesus. Um, he's the perfect representation. He is the perfect representation of the father. Um, you know, Jesus was asked by his disciples, we want to see God, the father. And Jesus says, you've seen me. Mm -hmm. That's enough. Yeah. Um, so to say that that's out, you have to go out in nature to experience God's love. That's just not true because nature can be a cold, dark place. Devoid of God's love. Nature is brutal, man. Um, So if you want to experience the love of God, it's found in the person of Jesus, and it's also found collectively in his community. As that body represents Mm -hmm. Jesus to the world, living out that love, uh, that self-sacrificial love. Yeah, I mean, nature being brutal, isn't that one of the things that drove Darwin um, more towards like evolutionary theory and stuff, was just looking at nature and just like the cutthroat chaos of it, I think? I think I heard that somewhere. It's probably true. That sounds good. Having sounds read good. the Origin of Species, <laughs> you did read it, didn't I you? I did. Actually, I listened to it because it was, it was a twenty-one hour audio book. Um, did you listen to it on like one and a half, at least? I did. Okay, because that'd just be. Um, actually, I'd really recommend it. It's actually a really good read. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so okay, you find love out in nature. Well, yeah, I guess so, but not true love. <laughs> You find pictures of love, but love in its essence. <laughs> you have true love. <laughs> Nate- Sly muck. <laughs> uh, where was I? Well, yeah, love in its essence. I express my love for you. That like that is something that is found in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like that's how we we can't. You know, if you don't have a baseline for something, like how do you even define what love is? It's like, well, I don't know. It's this feeling that I get when I watch this. I want to know what love is. <laughs> right, because love isn't just... <laughs> I mean, you could just sing that song to Jesus. <laughs> I want you to show me. And he's like, I have. I have, okay? <laughs> I'm showing you what love is. It's, it's, not a, it's not a feeling. It's a choice, mm-hmm. a decision to love others in spite of themselves, in spite of yourself. Yes, well. it's not a feeling because I mean, again, we're we're going back to how in the early church we could just start quoting songs. I, we could my heart. <laughs> in the early church, like as they're trying to figure this out. I mean, this is the first generation of Christians that are like, "Well, this is new. How do we figure this stuff out?" And like one of the things they go back to is is Paul saying things like, "This is how God showed His love mm-hmm. for us." Like, 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then flesh that out even more and say, okay, so now here's how you show your love for one another. Right. Um, it's by imitating that. So, you know, you, you, you can experience God's love in different places, but the primary place is through the person Right, and the fullest Jesus. place yes. is through the person of Jesus, I think. Yeah, we can experience God's love in those other places, but it's an incomplete love. All right. Ready to move on to the next section? I'm ready to move on. How, how long have we been recording so far? Uh, we've still got probably about 10 minutes. We probably have time to get through one more section. All right, so the next section is this. Stop blaming me for your miserable life. I never told you there was anything wrong with you or that you were a sinner or that your sexuality was a bad thing. Sex is a gift, and I have given you and which you can express your love, your ecstasy, your joy. Don't blame me for everything that others made you believe. Stop blaming me for your miserable life. <laughs> That's a nice thought. You know, it's just interesting, and we're going to talk about that, that first initial part, and then maybe we'll talk about the sexuality part a little bit. But this also makes me think that this is a much more modern piece mm -hmm. because talking about, okay, don't blame me for your miserable life. I never said you were a sinner. And it's interesting that whoever wrote this chose to highlight sex, mm -hmm. which makes me think this is a very modern thing because right. of how consumed our culture is with just sex in general and sexuality. Right. So it's like, it, again, 17th century. Yeah, <laughs> probably would not have said that. And the concept of sexuality as we understand it now, completely different. Yeah. And they probably would have used words like chastity. Yeah. Betrothed. It's, it's just a translation. <laughs> yeah. So stop blaming me for your miserable life. Actually... I agree with that. Um, I don't think we get to, we, not that we get to, but nor should we blame God for our miserable. First of all, I mean, you're kind of leaving the word miserable up to interpretation there. Um, right. Your definition, definition of miserable might not be my definition of miserable. My definition of a miserable life for me is actually paradise to somebody on the other side of the world. Right. So, Okay. So there's that. So it's like, wait, if I'm blaming God for my miserable life, is somebody on the other side of the world, wouldn't they be thanking him for the exact same life? Right. Yeah. So, so that's problematic. That's problematic. Um, and it's just the blame game. You're like, this is your fault. It's not my fault. Um, right. Because we know every decision comes prepackaged with a set of consequences, um, whether good or bad or just indifferent. That's how our world works. Yeah. So... Yeah, don't blame God for your miserable life. Um, sometimes if your life is miserable, I'm sorry. If you're going through a hard time right now, I'm sorry. Um, and I'm not blaming you. I mean, listen, sometimes <laughs> our life stinks, and it's our fault. Because <laughs> we, we've just made some terrible decisions. We do terrible, yeah, make terrible decisions, um, and we face the consequences of our own actions. Sometimes right. we face the consequences of other people's actions, and that's right. not our fault. Um, but either way, I mean, it's not... It's not God's fault right. that I do stupid things or somebody else did something terrible or, you know, whatever. All right. So next, I never told you that there was anything wrong with you or that you were a sinner. Um, uh, the Paul's letter to the church at Rome says, all have sinned and fall short yeah. of the glory of God. Um, God clearly did say that. The entire scripture point out the fact that that we are messed up, that we have sin, that we have missed God's mark. Um, Hamartia. That's right. That's the Hebrew word that means sin. It just means you missed. Yep. It's used to like describe an archer shooting an arrow. You missed the target. You missed what you missed the target of being truly human. Like here's how a hum, here's what 
a human is supposed to be and you missed. And by that definition, I don't think any of us could say with a straight face, I've never missed the mark of what it means to be like human. Right. <laughs> like I've never, never said anything I shouldn't have I've never done anything. It's like, no, we've, we've all done that. Right. Um, this, and we're not actually going to get to the, this next section today, but next week you'll have to tune back in. It, it, a lot of this is coming back to the same idea. If, if you don't have a baseline for truth or for how you see the world, then it's just kind of anything goes for anybody. Or the, the section before, you don't have a baseline for what love is. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't have a baseline for what kind of right or wrong or what sin is, well, yeah, you can do whatever. Right. That works if we were all individuals that never had to interact with anybody else, (laughs) but we start bumping into each other in real life. And if we all have different definitions of what's okay and what's not, well then that gets really, really problematic. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, I never told you there was anything wrong with you or that you were a sinner. It's, It's playing off of a picture of God that paints him as angry God, though. That that it, he is just a God that's going around and saying, you know, you're terrible, you're terrible, you're all terrible, you're going to hell, you're horrible people, horrible, horrible right, and people. And that comes up later that on That does in the come up. message. Yeah. And, and so it's like, well, yeah, that's not true in that sense, that God's not going around and saying, you're, you know, like angry, vindictive, you're a sinner, you're terrible. You know, like, that was wrong, that was wrong. Um or like the way they paint it as, I never told you there was anything wrong with you. Like, oh, you're so broken, you're so terrible. But, so so God isn't putting that picture forward. That's not the picture that we get in scripture. Mm-hmm. The picture of God calling out sin and saying there's something wrong with us that we see in scripture is from a broken-hearted posture. It's back to, stop blaming me for your miserable life. Right. He's saying, look, I see what you're doing is going to make your life miserable. There's this thing called sin. There is something wrong with you. Stop doing that because I don't want your life to be miserable. Right. <laughs> it's like these two ideas are put at odds with each other. They actually work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So then it says, or that your sexuality was a bad thing. Sex is a gift I've given you in which you can express your love, your ecstasy, your joy. So don't blame me for everything that others have made you believe. Um, God never said sex was a bad thing. God created sex. The Bible doesn't ever say sex is a bad thing. No. It's in fact a good a culturally thing. imposed idea that we have brought into read into the text. Mm-hmm. Um, sex is a great thing. It's a it's a great gift. Um, yeah, in which you can express your love, your ecstasy, your joy, but it's within the confines of a marriage of a marriage relationship of how God designed things to work, um, not in ripping, ripping other pieces, other people to pieces and just, you know, free sex sleeping mm-hmm. around. Cause that does a lot of damage emotionally. Uh, yeah. That's where like, this is so hard because it seems like this is trying to make arguments from both sides. Mm-hmm. Don't blame me for miserable life. I never told you you were a sinner, you could do anything wrong, right? You're fine. You do whatever you want. And this is again, but then, and then so do whatever you want with your sex life as well. That is one of the biggest areas of pain for people in their lives though, right. from something that they've done that was done to them, just horrible things in their past. 
it's so it's imp- it is it is impossible. You cannot make a rational argument that says you can do whatever you want, but then, well, you know, if things if you're miserable, something bad happens. Don't blame me. It's like wait, I don't know. It's like God puts these things in place, not as rules to follow because he's grumpy old God with a big old stick up his butt, but because he created us to enjoy life and to have flourishing. Um, and like there's, there's guidelines, there's things in place that make that possible that when we step over those, it's like guardrails on a highway, right? They're there. They're not there because they don't want you to have fun driving down the highway. <laughs> they're there to keep you from going off the edge of the cliff and crashing and burning. And it's just, yeah. And it's not, it's, it doesn't always seem that way. I mean, I get sometimes it seems like God's a killjoy, but when you get into the nitty gritty of life and when you, I don't care if it's with your sex life or anything. If you think of some of the worst points of pain in your life or the things that you regret, whether you're a person of faith or not, if you would look at what the Chris, like the, the Jesus standard is, I don't even like to say the Christian <laughs> ethic because Christians have yeah, jacked things up. up, but like the ethic of Jesus and you look at whatever that the biggest pain point or regret is, I would say, I don't know, like 99% of the time, if you apply, okay, if I had lived in this area or if that other person that, that hurt me had lived in this area according to the ways of Jesus, whether I believe that, you know, he's the divine you know, son of God or not, if I just lived with the Jesus ethic, would, have, would I have had the regret and the pain that I have now? I'm not saying always, but the vast majority of the time, the answer is no, I would have avoided that pain. Right. I would have had less regret in my life. And it's so hard for us to see in the moment um, because I, just, I want what I want and like it feels right, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have anything else to say. It's just, it's just, yeah. it's hard. Cause I get that this, that, that this idea, especially with sex and sexuality that flies in the face of, of popular culture. I mean, everything about following Jesus pretty much does, but this area, especially, and I think there's just so much heartache that could be prevented in people's lives and so much more joy and experience. Um, you know, he talks about ecstasy, right. love, joy. There's something that comes along with sexual intimacy, all of that, that joy and everything that is experienced in a more full way when you do it the Jesus way. And to someone that's not been in that boat, it's, it's hard to explain it, I guess. Right. All right, so that's where we're. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. Uh, we're out of time today to continue talking about Buddy Baruch, Buddy B, <laughs> Buddy, our Buddy Baruch. Um, so tune in next week as we continue dissecting uh, this series of quotes, I guess, mm-hmm. that are attributed to Baruch, although it's doubtful that they're actually from him. Um, But we're going to continue to dive in and see what uh, a Christian worldview looks like in light of these things. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah. We look forward to, to seeing you back here next week, whether you're watching, whether you're listening. Have a great week. See ya.